You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the sacred heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Psalm 51 has formed and it's shaped believers for thousands of years. And I believe, and many others also believe, that it is just as relevant today as it was 3,000 years ago. And what Psalm 51 shows us is that no matter how broken you are, you can be made whole. It's the wild, marvelous claim of the gospel. But also what I want us to see is that this is not just a confession for the moments when you've totally blown up your life like David. It's also a template for daily confession for the ways that we constantly sin against God. In the Middle Ages, in the Benedictine order, monks would recite the entire book of the Psalter, all 150 Psalms, once a week, but they would recite this particular psalm every single day. And the rationale was this, because every single day we are sinners in need of the mercy of God. And so if you can admit that today, which I understand that that will be maybe a great leap for some of us today. And for others of us, we are already convinced of that. But if you can admit that today, that we are daily great sinners in need of the great mercy of God, then I believe 
that Psalm 51 should stay very close to your life. It should be very close to your mind and your heart and your prayer life. And so where, where I want to begin this afternoon is with a prominent theme that we see in Psalm 51, and that theme is repentance. Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance. Look with me again in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. So what we see here is that the very thing that motivates a believer to repent, and when I say repent, what I mean is to turn from sin and to God. What motivates a believer to repent in the first place is an assurance of the abundance of God's mercy and his unfailing love. Now, does a changed life come from us being aware of our need and being aware of the problem of sin within us? Absolutely. But the psalm would show us that an honest confession begins with an awareness of God and specifically an awareness of God's mercy and his love for us that then allows us, it then creates a safe place for us to be honest with ourselves long enough to confess our sins in the first place. Let me say it biblically and simply. Romans 2 puts it this way. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Over the years, I've had to come to the realization that if one of my children lies to me, and that is a theoretical thing, my children would never lie to me, but if my children ever were to lie to me, if they were not honest with me about something that they had done or something that they had experienced, deep down that reveals that they don't fully trust me with that thing. They, they have some reason to believe that I'm not the kind of person that they should tell the whole truth to, that I'm not the kind of person that they should bring that thing to. And the same is true of us. We, we will never come to God honestly if we don't know and trust his character. But David knows that, that, that despite his horrendous failure, he still belongs to God's covenant love, that steadfast love that his, has said, which means the loyal love of God. He still knows that while his sin is great, God's mercy is always going to be greater. One commentator put it this way, this prayer is not merely an expression of human remorse or preoccupation with failure and guilt. It looks beyond self to God and lays hold of the marvelous possibilities of God's grace. At first glance, Psalm 51 just seems like obsession with sin. When in reality, it is an obsession with God's grace that then makes us aware of how much we fall short. The psalmist continues in verses 2 through 3, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. What I want us to notice here is that there is zero blame shifting. He says, it is my sin. Unlike children, there's no like, well, so-and-so made me do it. Did you see what Bathsheba was doing? Who, for goodness sake, who bathes outside? Like, it's my sin. And there's no minimizing his actions. He doesn't say like we like to say, mistakes were made. Or, you know, I'm, I, str I struggle. 
He pulls out almost every Hebrew word for sin possible. My iniquity, my transgressions, my sin. David realizes something very important long before modern psychologists got a hold of this idea, and it's this, that what you resist persists. In other words, you can't be healed of what you're in denial about. Minimizing the problem of sin only ends up forfeiting your experience of God's healing. True confession, one that leads to lasting change, it has to be honest with God, fully, fully honest with God. And he's not only acknowledging that the sin problem is his, but he also acknowledges how deep that sin problem is. He realizes that sin at its core has defiled him. And he uses all this really rich language like wash me and cleanse me and blot out and, and purge me. This is all Old Testament language describing the various ways that people become unclean and therefore unfit to be in the presence of a holy God. What he realizes is that the sin problem that he has requires purifying if he's ever going to enjoy the presence of God again. Repentance means seriously recognizing the defiling nature of our sins. He goes on in, verses four, in verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, this sort of sounds like David is disregarding the way that his actions have impacted other people, namely Bathsheba and Uriah. At first glance, it sounds like he's saying, you know what? I made this like spiritual boo-boo and it's really just between me and you that we've got to figure this out. No, he has destroyed lives. But what he's saying, well, let me, let me back up real quick because I think this is important because I think we've spiritualized sin and we forget that the ways that, that we've impacted people's lives. Even Jesus in the New Testament would say, if you've sinned against a brother or you realize someone has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, leave the worship service and go get right with that brother and then come back. Don't pretend that we're gonna be okay when there's ought, there's discord, there's strife with other people, you can't be good with God and then have all these broken Christian relationships. So go make it right. But what David is saying at its core is that sin is first against God. David is saying that sin is rebellion against God's will. It's a violation of God's commands. To sin against another person is to sin against an image bearer who bears the image of God. Before sin is a social horizontal issue, it is first a cosmic one. That's what David recognizes. And if anything in his life is going to get right, he's got to get right first with God. He goes on in verses 5 through 6, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So this brings us right to the heart of sin and repentance. Confession is not just seeking forgiveness for our 
individual misdeeds that we do. What he's asking for is for God to heal his sin condition. There's a difference between sins and sin. Sins are the fruit behaviors. Sin is a root heart issue. There's no such thing. If, if this is true, then there's no such thing as just like a sudden lapse in character. We, we love to say, you know, I wouldn't normally do that. That was just like, I don't know where that came from. Except Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That didn't come out of thin air. That came out of the deepest place within you. And what David recognizes here is that this is behavior that sprang up from his depraved nature that needs healing. The psalmist says something that we all, I think, sense on different levels regardless of our religious involvement. And it's that there is something about who and what we are that is inherently broken. That there is something within our humanity that needs to be healed, that needs to be transformed that needs to be brought back together. I was talking to, to my kids and, and they were telling me that a number of their friends decided to continue to wear masks after the masks mandates were lifted and it had nothing to do with safety and it had everything to do with hiding themselves. And the rationale was that they were used to covering their faces and now after two years of covering themselves, they were embarrassed to uncover they were embarrassed to be seen. And I think that we all have this nagging sense of, of shame, that there is something about us and something within us that's not right. But sadly, many of us don't know what to do with that feeling of shame. And so we seek to cover it in various ways. What do we see in the garden when Adam and Eve are made aware of their sin? They seek to cover it with fig leaves. David, in the process of his horrible story, what does he seek to do? He seeks to cover it. But at this point, what we see here is that David is done covering. He knows he needs something more than covering his sin and shame. He needs cleansing and he needs healing. And he goes on to say in verses 7 through 9, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This seems to be a reference to the Old Testament ritual of cleansing lepers, those who had these various skin diseases that made them unfit to not only worship God, but to live within the, the religious community. But in the healing process of a leper being brought back into the fold, so to speak, brought back into society, they would first go before the priests, and then the branches of hyssop would be dipped in the blood of the sacrifice, and quite literally, the blood would be sprinkled upon them. And through that cleansing process, after that cleansing process, they would be brought back into their community to be reunited with their family and friends and joined by these glad shouts of welcome. We're so glad to see you. We're so glad that you're back. This is also a reference to Exodus chapter 12 when the hyssop was dipped in the blood of the sacrifice 
and then used to paint the blood over the doorpost so that at night the angel of death would pass over God's people, signifying that this was a people covered by blood, covered through atonement. This is where the real power of repentance is found. The power is not in our remorse. The power is not in our determination to stop sinning. The power is not in our determination to live better. The power is not in the eloquence of our prayer or even our confession. It's in the power of the blood of the Lamb that covers and cleanses from sin. And what David knew in part and what the Old Testament sacrifice system alluded to, we know completely and thoroughly through the gospel. That it's the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, poured out at the cross that heals and cleanses us, our past, our present, and our future. And this is what purifies our hearts and brings us back into relationship and brings us back into relationship with God's people. The New Testament writer, the apostle John, would say this in 1 John chapter 1. It's the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. And so what David prayed for, God provided once and for all in his son a forgiveness and a healing that can be received through faith in Jesus Christ and his sufficiency, a healing and a cleansing and a purifying that is ours in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, the second theme we see here is a theme of restoration. This is not just a prayer of repentance, but a prayer for restoration. But this is, unfortunately, where many Christians tend to stop in the process of confession. For many of us, we we recognize that we're wrong. We feel bad about our sin. We tell it to God. We ask for forgiveness. We experience some sort of emotional relief from our guilt. Oh, good. I got that off my chest. And then we get on with our lives trying to do better. Setting out to never do that again. But what this psalm shows us is that we need both forgiveness and transformation. That's what the psalmist prays in verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Think about it this way. Without the transformation that David just prayed for right there, he is destined to repeat the same sin patterns over and over and over again. And guess what? So are we. It's just simply not enough to feel bad for what we've done. Grief can only get us so far. And as shocking as it may sound, even forgiveness. Forgiveness from God himself can only get us so far. We also need to be made new. We also need to be transformed so that we 
our lives take on a whole other form. And one of the words that ought to really stand out to us here is the word create. It's the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 1 and 2 to describe God creating the heavens and the earth. It's a very familiar passage, Genesis 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and it was void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So what we see in the creation account in Genesis is that the spirit of God was brooding or hovering over the chaos and the void, creating life where there otherwise was no life. And if we put these two ideas together, what it shows us is that true repentance is inviting God to do the same within us. Well, why would we need that? Why would we need that sort of creation power within our hearts? St. Marcarius put it this way, the heart itself is but a small vessel, yet dragons are there. And there are also lions. There are poisonous beasts and all the treasures of evil. But there too is God. The angels and the life and the kingdom and the light of the apostles, the heavenly cities and the treasuries of grace, all things are there. Your heart is wild. Your heart is dangerous. Jeremiah would say your heart is deceitful. Your heart is like an untamable ecosystem of sin and brokenness. But the good news is that for the Christian, the Spirit has entered into that space in order to transform it. As Romans 8 describes, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells within you. And so the hope that we have through confession is that God takes that same creative power and that same creative energy that he used to form vast galaxies, endless galaxies in the universes, and now focuses it on forming our hearts to create newness within us, to restore our joy, to give us willing spirits that seek to live upright and obedience to God. God is creating new hearts within us. And through this transformative prayer, David's vision is being expanded. We are seeing this transformation, the answer to his prayer, actually happening before he even concludes the prayer. The beginning of the prayer, it says that David is consumed by his own failure. He says, my sin is ever before me. What he's saying is like, I'm drowning in my sin. I'm up to my ears in my sin. All I can see is my brokenness and my failure. I think that there are many people here today that experience that as well. Everywhere I turn, I'm just reminded of how much I have royally screwed my life up. And now, 13 verses in, we see a shift from being consumed by his own sin to now a desire to serve and disciple others. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn to you. Reality, this shows us that there's an important connection here between our own personal confession 
and our church-wide mission to make disciples. Did you know that? An important connection between our repentance and us as a church being able to fulfill our commission. As we confess our sins, we're no longer consumed by it. And as we're no longer consumed by our sins, our vision and our energy is freed up to then focus on the people around us and the mission before us, calling others to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith as well. From consumed by himself and his sin to consumed by God's grace and God's mission. He goes on in verses 14 through 17. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare you praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart, O God you will not despise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. What do we see here? We see grace is literally loosening his tongue to praise. He begins depressed. He begins consumed. He begins with his mouth closed. How could I even say anything with how much I have screwed up? And now grace has loosened his tongue to praise. And now he's worshiping God in a way that honors him. Now I know that feeling. I know the feeling that all of us have felt at least once. You're ready to leave for church. You're ready to give God your best. Today's going to be a good day. We're going we're to praise the Lord and then something sets you off. And you say something horrible to someone. Or you're in the car. You're like, five minutes away from church and you raise your voice or you yell it and you, or you say something hurtful, you have this horrible thought in your mind and then you come in here and we're gathered to worship and we begin to sing and you're like, how could I sing right now? I, I would be such a hypocrite to sing joyfully. How could I raise my hands when I've just done this? Or maybe you've got that plaguing feeling of guilt for the many ways that you failed God and others. And each week, it becomes harder and harder to connect with God and his church because the more you come and you see people singing and you see other people raising their hands and you're like, maybe I'm the only one that sins like this. Maybe everyone else here has it all together and I'm the only broken one here. But what this prayer reminds us is that our ability to, joy, to sing joyfully, and to sing to God authentically is not determined by our worthiness. And our ability to sing to God with joy is not based on the kind of week or even day we've had. It's based on the unending value and beauty of God's grace. David doesn't attach his worship to his own behavior. If he did that, he would never sing. He does what we have to do. He attaches his praise to God's unending grace. Now, the truth is, unrepentant sin is going to take a, a toll on your mind. And it's going to take a toll on your heart. And it is going to take a toll on your joy. It is going to suck you of joy. And if I could be honest with you, the unrepentant person shouldn't sing. You shouldn't be singing and raising your hands if you're an unrepentant sin. 
It's the kind of worship that God dislikes. It displeases God. In fact, David refers to the sort of religious rituals with, with no inner heart change where people continue week after week, praise God, and here's the sacrifices, but their hearts are far from him. But for the one who comes to Jesus for cleansing and renewing, we have every reason to sing. And so reality, my, my own like personal pastoral challenge to you is this. That if we all, and I mean every single one of us, men, women, and children, if we all commit to incorporating prayers of confession every single day, again, assuming that we're all daily sinners here, if we all commit to incorporating daily prayers of confession and experiencing God's renewing grace through repentance every single day, I promise you this, you are going to begin to see a dramatic shift in our corporate worship and our experience of joy. For the longest time, we've really thought, as we've been here six months, like, is it the space? Is it kind of like because it's cold and the chairs are uncomfortable and we're like clearly in someone else's church? And is it that it's four o'clock and we're really tired? Maybe. But if joy always seems so far out of reach for us as a church, maybe we need to get honest with ourselves. And maybe we need to be willing to honestly confess. And I believe that if we do incorporate these prayers of confession daily, that our enthusiasm for God and our enthusiasm for the things of God will not be able to contain. And I, believe it or not, I believe that we're going to blow the roof off this old building with the rejoicing that we're going to experience. Put me to the test. Better yet, put the scriptures to the test. Daily confession leading to exuberant praise from God's people. Amen? Let's look finally and very briefly at renewed community. This is finally a prayer for renewed community. And the conclusion of this psalm goes in a very unlikely direction, so much so that commentators are like, maybe like hundreds of years later, uh, the nation of Israel in exile added these extra verses in because it just seems to not fit. I actually think it fits beautifully. And the prayer ends with a prayer for God to restore the community, which is very strange because it's a personal prayer of confession that ends with a corporate prayer for community, and specifically that God would rebuild them as, uh, as his people. Look with me again in verses 18 through 19. He says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered at your altar. So the, the psalmist recognizes something that we are going to be challenged to recognize in the 21st century where faith is very privatized, where faith is very much individual, it's, it's me and God sort of thing. What this prayer acknowledges is that there's a vital connection between our own personal spiritual health and the overall spiritual health of our church community, of the overall congregation. Let me illustrate this. In the book of Joshua, in chapter 7, there's this crazy story uh, of, a, of a person named Achan who disobeyed God 
concerning taking these relics and treasures from a defeated nation and ended up burying them under his tent. And what we read of in Joshua chapter 7 is that the sin of one man named Achan was capable of devastating his own entire nation in the next battle that they set out for. They won in Jericho, and they lost in Ai. And the idea is really strange and profound that one man's sin in the camp brought ruin upon his own people, judgment for the whole. But the gospel tells us where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And the hope that we have here is that through repentance and the grace of God, we have the capability of rebuilding and strengthening our community with a greater force than sin has to destroy it. Sin can mess this thing up. But grace and God's spirit is even more powerful and more effective to rebuild us and to strengthen us as people. That's the power of Christ within us. As sin and death spread through one man named Adam, now grace and life is spreading all the more through the God-man Jesus Christ. And today, I believe for us as a church reality, this is a season of rebuilding God's church. This is a season after years of challenge, after years of uncertainty and confusion and uprooting, this is a season for God's people to band together to rebuild and where we can all, every single one of us, no matter where we are, no matter what our gift sets, we can all participate and invest in the growth of the Reality Church body. We can all seek to rebuild and to grow. And it's by investing in our own spiritual formation. It's by investing in our own growth and godliness. And you look back at the scriptures, you look back at Christian history, and you will see a pattern that repeats over and over and over again. And it is my final parting word. Repentance precedes revival. What comes before revival? God's people on their face, repenting before the Lord and receiving his grace through confession. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you.